0: We've been talking a lot uh, for the last five weeks the six week of our worship series, uh, looking at workplace, finding workplace in our worship, knowing that we desire as Christians to be people who worship Jesus all the time, and we spend a lot of time working. So how is it that we're going to worship Jesus in the work that he's given us to do? That's the focus of this series. And uh, some of you, uh, especially when we get kind of to this, region of the country, and knowing this church in particular, have a lot of people involved in agriculture in some way. Uh, a number of you in the church are farmers or work for a farmer or something like that. Uh, there are people uh, in the country who maybe don't know a whole lot about farming. And so when you don't know a lot about something, you can have some pretty interesting ideas of what that might look like. And so so there might be people who don't know much about farming who assume that your job as a farmer is to take a couple of weeks around this time of year to put some seeds in the ground, and then take a couple of weeks sometime later in the year to harvest, and in between you just watch your cute little piglets grow until they turn into bacon, and then, and then that's it. But that's what it means to be a farmer, but those of you who are actually farmers know that there's a bit more to it than that. And I think probably with most of the jobs, that whatever kind of job or role that each of us have, there's a lot more to it than the official title that we're given. We might have an official title, but we could also put a slash with a bunch of other things behind that. So if you're a farmer, it might look like, well, I'm a farmer slash veterinarian slash business manager slash agronomist slash meteorologist whatever else you want to put after that, right? There's a lot of things that you have to do that kind of go along with your official title. Today we're going to add one more slash. Maybe some of you realize that it's already there and are functioning that way. But it might be a title that maybe you didn't realize that you have. If you're a Christian, there is another title that needs to go after your slash. Whatever your official job title is, you can actually take out the sermon outline in the bulletin. And in that sermon outline, you're going to find a spot at the top where it has you writing your official job title. Whatever that might be. It might be stay at home mom. It might be whatever it is. Writing your official job title. And we're going to fill in the last part of that as we get further along in the sermon. Today, we're going to focus on that, the title that comes behind the slash. I do want you to know that, that, that so much of this, this has been focused on what comes before the slash. How is it that we can worship God in the work that he's given us to do? And I hope you know that that title, whatever that title is for you, is important, very important, um, that, that you are to do whatever you do, like we talked about last week, in the name of the Lord Jesus, working heartily as for the Lord and not for men. That our work is given to us as a gift. It was God's intention that we work, that we do good work for his glory. So that job title is important, but we're going to add something on to the end of that this week as well. We're going to find this job description, if you will, as we look in the book of 2 Corinthians. You have your Bible. I encourage you to turn there. I Remember, if you forget to bring a Bible when you come, there's always Bibles on that back white shelf. Um, and... Uh, just encourage you to take yours with you when you come. We're going to be in the book of 2 Corinthians, which is a letter that the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write to the church in Corinth. And so uh, he writes this letter. One of the things that was happening there is that people were increasingly skeptical of both Paul and the gospel that he preached. Some people in the church, they fully embraced Paul and the gospel that he preached, but some people in the church we're pretty skeptical of both Paul and the gospel that he preached. And so he writes this letter And the passage that we're going to look at today. He's letting them know again about the work that God has done, the work that God has come to do in Christ, and what that means for all of those who would put their faith in Christ. He's saying, listen, if you're the church, if you are those who have put your faith in Christ, this is what it means for you. So, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 is where we're going to be. We're going to read verses 11 through 21, but most of our time actually today will be spent on the last part of that. So why don't you stand if you're able to as we read 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 11. God's Word says this, Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it's known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. And if we are in our our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. Ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Such good news. Every time, uh, every time we open up God's Word, we, we hear news that we need to hear. Such good news for us today in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You'll notice in your bulletin, three main points. Uh, and then we're going to be uh, looking at the final verse as we have communion together. First one, really talking about God's work. We see that in 2 Corinthians 5, 11 through 15. The first couple of verses, 11, 12, and 13 actually, Paul is doing what he does a lot in this letter, and that is kind of defending himself and his ministry, reminding them of the authority that he has as an apostle of Jesus Christ. We're not going to spend a lot of time on that. I want to spend our time starting really in verse 14. Verse 14, Paul says, For the love of Christ controls us. First, I want to talk about the love of Christ, okay? For the love of Christ, that is, the love that Jesus has for us. How do we know? How do we know? Besides a little song that we sang when we were a little kid, how do we know that Jesus loves us? Well, it kind of says it in that song, the Bible tells me so, right? Yes, Jesus loves me. The Bible tells me so. Um, And we know that the Bible tells us so because of what we're going to see here in a little bit. Paul knows. That Jesus loves him? Because you know what Paul was doing before he met Jesus? Remember? He was spending his time persecuting the church. That was kind of his job. He was a legalistic Pharisee kind of guy who was into persecuting the church until Jesus showed up. Jesus came after him. He knows that Jesus loves him because Jesus came after him while he was yet a sinner. And he know because he knows of Jesus' love for him, and he says it controls us. That's interesting. Maybe your translation, what does it say there in verse 14? Mine says, for the love of Christ controls us. That's what it says in the ESV. Yours might say compels us. You know the other time that that word, the other times, a lot of times when that word is used in the New Testament, you know what context it's used in? It's used when it's talking about a disease. That it's something, you ever, you're like a disease that comes and just takes over somebody's life. That it kind of controls you in some way. Maybe you've been that kind of sick before. Or you've been sick with something where it seems like that just controls you. It just takes over. Everything you do, like you have to sleep more because you have this. You have to eat this or not eat this because you have this. And it's this, this thing that just kind of comes and takes over every part of your life. It affects everything. That's what Paul says about the love of Christ. Christ has loved me so much that it controls me. It's taken over me. Everything I do gets filtered through Christ's love for me. People thought sometimes a little bit that he was crazy. He's like, hey, it, the love of Christ is controlling me. That's what that's what's determining the way I live, what I say, what I do, determined by that. And then verse 15, he talks more about what it is that Christ has done, and he died for all. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. What did God do in Christ? The main purpose of Jesus' coming was that he might die and be raised. That he might die in our place for our sins and be raised again from the dead. That's why Jesus came. And if that happens, here's one of the purposes of Jesus' death. That those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him. See, Paul is saying Jesus' death and resurrection, they really happen. But Jesus didn't just come to die and be raised again, so that when I trust in him, I can know that when I die, I'm gonna have a nice little place in heaven. That God didn't save us only for that. He saved us not only for the life that is to come, but for the life that is now. That that somebody who truly trusts in Jesus as Lord and Savior. That's going to change the way they live now. That we might no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died and was raised. Our life, if we are a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ, our life is different because we follow him. His death and his resurrection changes the way we live now. Okay, that's what we see in verse 15. It changes us even so much. That Paul will say now in verses 16 and 17, this is the next point, that it's almost like there's a new us, that, that, that we actually, our whole nature is changed. Because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, when we put our faith in Him, when we become in Christ, our whole nature gets changed. You see that in verses 16 and 17. He says this in verse 16, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What's he saying there? He's saying that when, when I became saved, when the blinders came off of my eyes, I saw things differently. I wear glasses, and when I take them off, I can tell that there's something there. But I can't really define any kind of person, right? Like, I I see this object of blurry mass, kind of. But I don't see people for who they really are. And what Paul is saying is, before I came to Christ, I saw Jesus through my human eyes, my natural, my fleshly eyes. That's how I saw Jesus. Listen, we live in a culture where a lot of people see Jesus. They know some things about Jesus. We don't run into too many people in the United States of America who have never heard anything about Jesus. There are some, increasingly more. But most people have had some kind of introduction to Jesus, but the problem is their vision of who Jesus is is really pretty blurry. They're seeing Jesus through natural eyes, right? Through eyes of flesh. That's the only way that they're seeing him. And Paul mentions that right before this in, in chapter 4, in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, The problem is. This is 2 Corinthians 4.4. 4. In their case, the God of this world, little g, has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. They see Jesus, and they can kind of do like a country music, tip your hat to Jesus kind of thing, and not a real Jesus is the image of God. He is the glory of God in human flesh. And he is someone worthy to be worshipped. Most people see Jesus as kind of like this, yeah, I'll give him a little head nod. Kind of like you did at the beginning of the worship service when I said good morning. Yeah, like one of those. Like, yeah, okay, fine. Uh, Jesus, whatever. Jesus works for you. You can be all radical about Jesus, but I'm just going to kind of like say, yeah, Jesus is all right. No. That means that they're still blind. The God of this world has blinded the mind of the unbelievers. They don't see the light of the gospel of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul has seen that now. And he said, I used to see Christ like everybody else did. But I don't see him that way any longer. He's taken the blinders off my eyes. And it also changed one other thing for Paul. Did you notice what he said at the beginning of verse 16? From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. It changes the way that Paul sees everybody else. Not only did Paul's conversion change the way that he sees Jesus, It changes the way that he sees everybody else around him. I remember applying this to our work. I remember when I and I didn't even really get this till I was in seminary studying to be a pastor, and I worked in a medical record place um, with a bunch of other people, and it really just kind of started to dawn on me. Listen, I mean, there are some. Anytime you work with people, you got some interesting personalities you work with, even if your work is in your own home. Maybe that's the most interesting personalities you work with, right? That that there's there's people that you interact with through the work that you do that are just really interesting. And I got interactions with a lot of very interesting people when I worked in medical records. Worked with Maggie and Arnulfo and and uh, and Laura and Matt and all these people that I worked with on a daily, daily basis. I think it worked almost every day. I can't remember, but I worked there quite a bit and I spent a lot of time with these people. And then it just dawned on me, you know what? God has me here on purpose. Not just, not just for the purpose of doing medical records and doing that well and earning a paycheck and that kind of thing, but he has me here not just to see Maggie and Arnulfo as, as really funny, uh, really funny, just enjoyable people to work with, but people who are created in the image of God who have had some introduction to Jesus, but they don't really see him for who he really is. And so God has me working in this place so that I might be a light to Maggie and Arnufo, that they might hear about Jesus. And so that changed the way that I came to work. I would pray before going to work. I would pray while I was working, God, would you give me the courage to have a good conversation, an opportunity to have a good conversation. And they usually didn't just happen. There were things that I had to initiate. And so I had to ask Matt, Matt, do you want to talk at break time today? Can we go in the break room and talk a little bit? Those kind of things. When my mindset changed about why I was in that workplace, things changed for me. I began to see people differently. You don't any longer just see somebody as that annoying person at work, or that that person who kind of doesn't do their job very well, so I always have to pick up their slack, or or that person who is above me or that person who is below me. You don't just see them in those terms anymore. You see them as people, if they are in Christ, you see them as brothers or sisters in Christ. And if they're not, you see them as people who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus Christ, that they might too worship Him. Change is how we do everything. It's so radical, in fact, that in verse 17, Paul says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. For those who are truly in Christ, that change is so radical that we are as it were, a new creation. Something totally different. Our total nature has changed. We have moved from being mainly defined as sinners to being defined by God's grace as saints. We were condemned, and now we're accepted. We were forsaken, now we're forgiven. All sorts of other things that happen. Our nature, who we are, changes at our conversion when we put our faith in Christ pretty incredible kind of thing that Paul's talking about here. And with our new nature comes a new role. With our new nature comes a new role. We now become a part of something that we weren't a part of before. We now become a part of God's Great Commission mission work in the world. And it changes our role. It gives us a new slash that goes after our job title. And what is that? Verses 18 to 20, these final verses are going to be a mix of God's mission and our role in that mission. Let's look at these three verses. Look at verse 18. Verse 18 starts out this way. It says, all this is from God. That's good news right there, isn't it? All this is from God. You are a new person. You now see Jesus differently. You now see everybody else differently. You are now a new creation. If you were in Christ, and you know who did it? It's all God's work. There's no diet plan that's going to make a new you. There is no workout plan that's going to turn you into a new you. There's no relationship that's going to turn you into a new you except for the relationship with God through Jesus Christ. All this is from God. And then here it starts to talk about God's mission. Here's what God was doing. Verse 18, all this is from God, who through Christ, Reconciled us to Himself. Here's God's mission. God's mission in Christ was that we might be reconciled to Him. Do you know what reconciliation means? It's going to say that a lot more in this passage, so we better be sure we know what it means. God's mission is that we might be reconciled to Him. Reconciled means to be brought back to, to have a repaired relationship with. It refers to a relationship that is ruptured or torn or broken apart in some way. That the relationship is not as it is meant to be. Scripture even refers to us as being enemies of God. We are hostile to Him. Our relationship with God, which He intended for good, is broken. And it's not His fault. It's our fault. It's our sin that separates us from God. So, we need to be reconciled. That relationship needs to be repaired. And God is going to do that in Christ. That's what it says in verse 18. Who through Christ reconciled us to himself. God's work of reconciliation required that Christ would come. Paul's already talked about his death and resurrection. If we want to be right with God, it's not up to you trying harder to be better, it's up to Jesus, it's up to God Himself doing something that you could not accomplish. You could not reconcile yourself to God. God had to reconcile us to himself through Christ. But it doesn't end there. And by the way, reconciliation. Uh, we talk about justification. I love talking about justification, right? That, that we who are guilty are declared righteous. That the judge pronounces us righteous even though we're guilty, right? And it's because of the work that Christ has done. But reconciliation goes even beyond justification, okay? Reconciliation is that the judge doesn't just want to declare us righteous. The judge wants to have a relationship with us. Isn't this incredible news? Did this message of reconciliation, that the God who I spent my life offending wants to have a relationship with me, and he was willing to give his own son that that might happen. God wants to be in relationship with us. That's the idea of reconciliation. He wants to be in relationship with us. But that's not it. In verse 18, it also says this. And he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. There's our new role. That's one of the new roles. That as people who have been reconciled to God, we now have this ministry of reconciliation. And this ministry goes two ways. It goes horizontally and it goes vertically. So we are now becoming people in Christ who want to be reconcilers. That's one of the ways that we point people to Jesus is this horizontal reconciliation. That we don't want to live at odds with other people. That we want to reconcile with one another. So when it comes to marriage, as those who are in Christ, we want to see marriages Reconciled. We want to see people coming together. We don't resign ourselves quickly to divorce, but we want to see marriage held up and lifted high and held in high honor. That that we see reconciliation in that way. That when there is trouble and, and disruption in our relationship with other believers within the church, that we have open communication and confession of sin and forgiveness that disunity might not occur in the body because we are a reconciling people. God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That this comes in all sorts of forms, even even looking at racism. We are a people who, who hate racism because God hates racism. We don't, we don't desire that anybody be mistreated or even misspoken of because of their ethnic or racial background. We want to be people who see reconciliation take place horizontally, but we also share with others the good news of vertical reconciliation. That's also part of the ministry of reconciliation, that we need to speak the message of reconciliation with God through Christ. That's what I began to see in my workplace, that, that with my coworkers, with the people that God had put me with, I was there for a purpose, not just to do good work, not just to be a good person. Listen, I read this quote in this book called The Gospel at Work, Really good. Here's what it says. I think it's going to be on the screen. Maybe? Yes. We can be as kind, gentle, loving, caring, humble, patient, good, and downright wonderful as we want. And still, our coworkers will likely assume we just especially enjoyed our bagel that morning. If the people around you are ever going to know the gospel message, they're not just going to learn it from your life well lived. You're going to have to tell them right? That, that, this message of vertical reconciliation, you don't really understand that by just watching somebody do their work really well and being really nice to other people. You don't understand that you are at odds with God and you need to be reconciled to him. You don't hear the message of you are a sinner who needs a savior. You don't hear that by just watching somebody live a good life. Certainly we ought to be people that do that, but we also ought to be people who speak the message of vertical reconciliation. That's part of the ministry of reconciliation that we're given. Verse 19, also a very rich verse. Some of the same ideas from verse 18 are repeated. Verse 19 says, That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. And then we get to verse 20. Here's where we're going to fill in that other slash at the top of your outline there. Here's what comes behind the slash. Verse 20 says this, Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. You can put in that other slash behind, whatever your official job title is, would you also put there either ambassador or missionary? Okay? That's what goes after that space, after that slash. What is an ambassador for Christ? We're called in verse 20 ambassadors. What is an ambassador? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. An ambassador for Christ is a sent out one, a missionary, okay? One who is called to go out and to do and to announce the message of reconciliation with God. That we are called and we are sent out with this message. We are sent out on behalf of Christ as a representative or an ambassador for him. Here's the deal. God wants to save people, and he's not going to wait for them to come to him. He's going to send people out. Uh, Augustus, an emperor in Rome at this time, Augustus used to brag that that people would come from all over, that they would ambassadors would come to him making appeals before him. He, he knew he was powerful when ambassadors would come to him, and he would brag about that. But our all-powerful creator God, he wants to save people. And he's not going to wait for a few ambassadors to come to him. He's going to send ambassadors out so that people might hear that he is a God who desires to save. But in Romans 10, we read this, all who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Good news, isn't it? All who call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear unless someone preaches to them? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? That's what it says in Romans chapter 10, right? So people, everybody who calls on the name of the Lord can be saved. They're not going to call on him if they haven't believed in him. They're not going to believe in him if they never heard of him. They're not going to hear of him unless somebody preaches to them. They're not going to preach unless somebody's sent. We are. Listen, church, Christian, you a Christian. You are one of those sent ones. You are an ambassador for Christ. God has you in your family. God has you in your neighborhood. God has you in your school. God has you in your workplace. Yes, to do good work for His glory in His name, but He also has you in that place as His ambassador. And you might be the only one. But he has you there on purpose as an ambassador, as a missionary. I'm so grateful for our church's partnership with so many missionaries. Just thinking of one in particular, I'm so grateful for Rich Church's work in the Czech Republic as he raises up and trains church planters that more churches might be planted, that more and more people might come to hear of Jesus. So thankful for his work there because there are a lot of people in the Czech Republic who don't know Jesus and they desperately need to hear the gospel because if they don't hear the gospel and they die in their sin, they will suffer an eternal punishment in hell. So we need people like Rich Turchia. So grateful that we have him. But listen, we also need people like you. Because in your workplaces, like in the Czech Republic, there are a lot of people that don't know Jesus. And they desperately need to hear the gospel because if they do not hear it and they die in their sin, they too will suffer eternal punishment in hell. God has you in your workplace. God has you in your family. God has you in your neighborhood. God has you in your school for a purpose, that you might be an ambassador, that you might be one who not only is a reconciler, but you're one who speaks to people of the hope that they have for reconciliation with God, that they can be made right with God, that they can live in a relationship with God, and it's not going to be based on anything that they've done, but it's because of what Jesus has done, and they need to hear about what Jesus has done. So, I want to just get really practical as we close before we have communion together. Um, maybe you've heard that before. Maybe you have that idea, but but how are you going to do it? What I want you to do is it can be very overwhelming to be told, okay, yeah, but Rich Turcha, I mean, he was a pastor, and he got trained, and then and he's like, he's got all these gifts and abilities to do that kind of thing. But me, I don't have all that. Listen, if you live in this country, and you've been a part of a church, um, I just met with a missionary this week who's, whose job is to go and to train pastors in other countries. And we've got pastors leading churches all over the world that have had zero training. They're leading a lot of other people. They don't have access to half of the stuff that we have. How many Sunday school classes have you been in? How many worship services have you been at? How many Bible studies have you been a part of? You don't think you're prepared to be an ambassador I had a friend named Adam one time. He heard the gospel, got saved. His first Bible message he really heard, some story about Peter. He got so on fire, he didn't know the Bible, but he knew that story about Peter. He went around telling everybody that same story about Peter and asking them if they had received Jesus as their Savior. That's all he knew. He needed one story. He needed one time. He was saved. He had the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead living in him. You need something else? You got God's word, right? We've been doing a lot of training. And it's time to go. What step are we going to take? To be ambassadors, to be missionaries in the places that God has put us. We've been listening to testimonies of videos that Drew has put together of testimonies of people from our church. I want to I want you to hear, as you think about practically, how can I be a workplace missionary? I want you to hear the stories of four different people from our church, We just talk a little bit about here's how I'm doing it in my workplace. That might give you some ideas. I'll share a couple more ideas after that, and then we'll move into a time of communion. But let's go ahead and maybe get some ideas uh, from hearing how some people in our church are seeing their workplace as their mission field.
1: My name is Mandy Roger, and I work for MICA, um and specifically I work for our, um, Early Start. So I get to go out to homes on a weekly basis and uh, meet with low-income families. I just really see um, how my work life fits into the Great Commission by um, just continuing to meet with families on a weekly basis and um, just getting to build this relationship with them um, from week to week. And um, just the love that I get to show to them, and um, just walking into their homes with this um, non-judgmental, this unconditional love, no matter what they've done the week before. Um, and that only comes from the love that I've received from Christ. And so, um, just getting to show them that and um, and just working through all that they are going through right now and just walking beside them. I can't specifically um, bring up God, um, but as soon as a family brings up God in some way, then I jump all over it. And as long as they um, talk about him first, then I can do that. And so um, I wear my cross necklace and my Jesus t-shirt. Um, and through that, I found that there are people that um, will bring up God or church or Sunday school or something like that, that maybe they wouldn't have brought up before. Um, And so when they bring it up, then I know that we can talk about God in that way. And that the next time I go, I already know that we've talked about God or church. Um, And so we can just start right from there. Um, And so I've had, I have a few of my families that, know um, where I stand and what I believe. And so when we go in there, uh, we just get to talk about their lives. Um, And the way that I respond, I get to specifically say Christ and love and sacrifice and um, just all these words that I might not have been able to say to a different family, but because they brought it up and we talked about it, uh, then um, we've got to go deeper in our together my name is Tara McKibben and I do daycare and I've been doing that about 19 years so um, I feel like I can do a lot of mission work through the kids mainly um, we read the Bible every day we pray before lunch and so they get to see that they see me reading the Bible so that just kind of shows them what is important and they even go home and tell their moms that um, how important it must be to read my book because I'm always writing stuff down. So that's kind of cool for them to um, see me and actually go home and also talk about it. But um, and just being able to pray openly, you know, with them. And then you know they go and they pray at night with their parents, and um, we're always included in those prayers. So it's kind of cool that it carries on into their homes. But um, so mainly it's like with the kids and. Um, being able to teach them how to get along and how um, God wants people to treat people. you know, I'm really, really involved with the kids and how they apologize and how they are nice to each other. And so I think that's just you know, Jesus' character all over. And so I think that you know, that goes into the kids, especially as they're growing up. And I'm teaching them some of their major years and influential years so I think that's really important and then also with the parents just being able to be there for them and care for their kids you know as much love them as much as they love their own kids and um, just being uh, a support for them and knowing that they have a safe Christian environment that their kids are coming to. I've had a lot of broken homes come to my daycare and the kids can see uh, what a Families should be like, and they get that love that maybe
2: they don't get at home. So, um, it's just very cool. <laughs> my name is Kathy Friesing, and I work with The Hub in Iowa Falls. I think, for me, I have to remember that God is the ultimate boss. I have to be mindful and thinking of Him during the day because He's the one I want to please and, and serve. Um, as far as my earthly boss, I feel like in my workplace I need to respect my boss. She's my employer. Um, I need to do as good a job when she's here as when she's gone so she knows she can trust me with the money and um, taking care of her business when she's gone. Um, I think one of the real important things for me, and I have discovered it in the last couple of years during some of my Bible reading that I need to pray on my way to work in the morning, and specifically I don't always pray for myself, but I need to pray for how how my day will go, and specifically for the people that I'm going to be ministering to, because I really do feel like it's a ministry. People come into our shop because they want to feel good about themselves, and they want to have their hair done, and that always makes them feel better, but I think we need to be going a step further, and... Um, encouraging them and um, we're, we need to be good listeners in our workplace because there's a lot of people that are heavily burdened and they need to lay it out for um, somebody else and sometimes we're, we work one on one with people a lot so it's the one person they might meet in their day that is actually listening to what they have to say.
1: I'm Laura Scott, I teach three math at Riverbend Middle School, and I always knew it was God's calling for me to come to Iowa Falls to teach. But I never saw uh, being a teacher of my mission field until somebody actually said that to me. And after I viewed it in that way, um, just so many opportunities opened up and my eyes were opened up to a lot of different things. And on a daily basis, there are 250 people that walk the halls at Riverbend, and I can impact them. And um, ways that I can understand, and viewing it as my mission field has helped me to see that. So I can um, not only teach math Matthew, but I get to teach people about who Jesus is and what he looks like. I can show them through my daily interactions, whether that's in the hallway, um, by teaching them or just having conversations with different people. That's, that's how I get to show them how Jesus is. So I'm not only just an eighth grade math teacher, but um, somebody teaching people about what Christ looks like.
0: So there's there's four examples, and, and I'm you know could have, uh, could have gone around and visited with a lot of you and gotten a lot more uh, input. We need to be sharing those kinds of things with each other. Like here's something that I've done, uh, and how cool is it to think that God has put people all over this community uh, in all sorts of different places? Uh, maybe you're like well I don't right now I'm retired or or you know I'm just kind of I'm home a lot. Uh, then God put you in your neighborhood, put you amongst the people in your family. Maybe I don't have a dominant school. He's put you in those places for a purpose. If you think about maybe there was something in there, maybe a couple other things. If you look on your uh, outline, um, I think it's like day four that I put down some suggestions to kind of work through. That might be something that you want to do. But maybe step one for you this week is you just begin praying for some people. Maybe praying for just one or two people at your job. Somebody that you know you need to be sharing the gospel with. And so just, just start praying for them on a regular basis. Maybe it's as you're going to work, maybe it's at night, maybe it's in the morning, whatever. But just pray for somebody. Maybe you need to start loving somebody that you're not loving well right now. You need to realize, okay, if I'm supposed to be a minister of reconciliation, and here I am working with this person, and we can like get along enough to work together, but I really don't love them. Maybe that's something you need to work on uh, this week and ask God to help you with. Maybe it's like I did with Matt saying, hey, do you want to connect over, over break time? Uh, maybe being intentional about, let's do lunch together someday and figure out some way to, maybe it's just building a relationship at first, maybe it's talking about Jesus right away, but doing something to connect intentionally with somebody. Um, maybe it's, uh, it's preparing yourself. Maybe you know somebody at work is really one of those skeptical kind of people that's got a lot of questions. And if you try to talk to them about Jesus, they're going to throw all sorts of stuff at you. 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 15, or verse 15 says this, But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that's in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right? So we need to be people that are prepared, that are ready. And so maybe part of what you're going to do, like, okay, I'm going to be praying for this person, but I know they're going to come at me with a lot of hard questions, so maybe you need to get a couple books. Maybe you need to talk to somebody who you know might be able to better answer those questions. Okay, if they ask me this, what am I supposed to say? This is a hard one. Um, Those kind of things. Maybe you need to start a a Bible study right at your workplace. Maybe you need to uh, invite somebody from your workplace to church. Just say, hey... You know, I've invited you to a couple other things. Never realized it. I never even invited you to come to be a part of our church. Um, you want to come? I'll come and pick you up uh, on Sunday morning. I'll, whatever. Uh, do something. If you gotta skip out of Sunday school for a few minutes to go pick somebody up, I'm pretty sure we're cool with that. Um, maybe it's maybe it's finding another believer. Sometimes we kind of get in this mindset like, well, I'm here to do my work and I'm here. But you might work alongside other believers. Maybe you need to get together with them and say, hey. Let's, let's just be in prayer for some of the other people at our workplace. Yeah. Let's figure out together how we might be able to to, to team up and to reach out to some people who need to hear the message of reconciliation, that God desires a relationship with them. The rest of verse 20 just says this, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Paul's writing to the church in Corinth, but he knows there's people meeting with the church in Corinth that aren't yet reconciled. And so, He pleads with them at the end. He says, I implore you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. I would say the same thing to you, church, this morning. I know there are some of you who are gathered here because it's just what you do. But if you're honest, could you really say, I am living in a right relationship with God? I know the things between God and I are now good because of what Christ has done and because he is my life. I have put my trust and my hope fully in him and what he has accomplished for me. I am worshiping Jesus. Some of you can't say that, and I would implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. Be reconciled to God. It looks like you just coming before him and saying, God, I'm not right with you. I'm not right with you. It's not your fault. It's my fault. It's because of my sin. It separates me from you. And God, I so desperately want to know you. I want to worship you. God, I need to be forgiven. I need you to take care of my sin problem. And I know you've done that in Christ. But God, I, I trust in Him. I want Him to be my Savior, and I want Him to be my Lord. Today and from this day on, I'm, I'm trusting in Him. I want to be right with you. I don't want to live at odds any longer. That's what it looks like. We know that we can do that because of verse 21, and that's what leads us into communion this morning. In order for reconciliation to work, in order for us to be in a right relationship with God, He had to do something about our sin problem. He couldn't just overlook our sin and say, Well, I know you've sinned. I am perfect and holy, righteous and pure. And I'm just going to say, Well, that's okay. At least you tried hard. He cannot do that. That would not be just. And he is a God who is just, there had to be punishment for our sin. And verse 21 says, here's what God did. For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God.